0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am so beyond honored to be uh, joined by uh, Mr. Sean McKeever. Uh, Sean came on the show recently and did an episode with us. It is always the uh, greatest uh, compliment to have someone who's willing to come back and do one of these character episodes with me. Uh, Hi, Sean, how are you?
1: Good, I I thought this was was like, I had to do it because it was like a two first. So if we don't have to do it, like, I can, yeah. I mean, that, that, is, exactly, <laughs> that
0: is exactly what the fine print said. <laughs>
1: no, it was it was great being on Last Time, Chad, and uh, happy to do it again. I'm so happy to, to that have you here. That, that I really dig. How has your year been starting out? Um, good. You know, I'm uh, doing a little bit of uh, Marvel work and and still continuing on a video game that's yet to be announced. Um. And, you know, just life in general is just very smooth sailing right now. So
0: that's good. That is wonderful, my friend. I'm happy to see you. It is mid-January as we're recording this a couple weeks ahead of time. Now, in Sean's episode, we talked about a number of his different works across different things. We went from uh, the Inhumans to the Bastards of Evil, <laughs> and uh, we had some uh, content on a series that I remember very fondly. Um, I'm going to put this in context for me quickly, Sean, and then I want to defer to you. When um, when the early 2000s hit, I was in college and kind of buying comics a little bit more haphazardly than previously because I had a tight budget. And I was very selective about the books I was choosing. And I know this is the era when you wrote a lot of books, but Inhumans was a favorite of mine. Another huge favorite of mine was Sentinel. And both of these books, Sentinel we'll talk about today, was unlike anything I'd read from Marvel before. The issues felt very slowed down. It was a very character, family, community focused story. It wasn't about giant splash pages. It wasn't about major danger. It was a kid who was on a journey and it's so heartfelt. And I got to reread all of your Sentinel work prior to uh, coming up to the show. And it just brought me back to those like very lonely college days because I was still in the closet back then. And, my comics were my friends uh so i i i'm I'm, uh so happy to be talking about justin safer with you that's Uh, great tell me let's kind of just begin with what was it like for you to revisit this after all these years
1: yeah i read i read uh the initial 12 issue mini series or 12 issue series and then the, the the five issue mini series that followed um in the past month and um it was really quite something, you know, I, I'm I'm one of those people I cringe at the idea of reading my own work. Um, you know, I, I'm not somebody who rereads my old stuff and goes, oh, yes, I was so good. And, you know. Um, and. Uh, but it turned out to be like, you know, it's been 20 years since I wrote that stuff. So it, I could look at it very clinically and, and, and kind of detached. Um, and so. I was able to look at, you know, where things went wrong, but I also found myself with moments of joy and, and like an understanding about who I was as a writer then. And, and, and also, you know, as somebody pointed out, I was, I was telling a friend that I was rereading this stuff and, and just, you know, kind of, you know, and just kind of, uh, saying why, you know, for the podcast and everything, but, but she had pointed out like, well, you can see why you started doing this in the first place. And that was very true. Like reading through this, I I saw a lot of, um, things that I had kind of forgotten about what I like to write and, and how I write. Um, that is, you know, some of it's evolved, some of it's refined. Um, but there was really, um, you know, there was really this this depth of of character, and and need to kind of uh, build out the world uh, that that Justin inhabited. Um, that you know that 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 really reminded me of of my earlier writing, like The Waiting Place and 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 that sort of thing. Um, and you know, it was it was actually a really pleasurable and informative experience for me, and it brought what? up a lot of. up a lot of emotions brought up some surprises
0: yeah it's it was an emotional read for me too going back to it again the first time it was the monthly experience right but when you sit down and read something all the way through and you can look through like the threads of everything that's there from beginning to end and then attaching it to what happens to the character later uh in particular i had a pretty large emotional reaction to (laughs) some of those stories having gotten to know you a little bit on the show and then uh, know how much you care about this character. And it seems to me as if this is a character that has a lot of you in him. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Let's start with uh, how did the Sentinel series come to be? I know we've mentioned this briefly on my uh, on, on our main episode show, but uh, tell tell listeners a little bit about how Sentinel happened in the first place. Sure.
1: So I, I've been doing a little bit of work for Marvel. I've written a few issues of The Incredible Hulk, um, and I was doing some um, inventory stories for them, um, like for Spider-Girl, one that never came out for uh, uh, the uh, Weapon X series. Um, and, you know, just little bits here and there. I did a an Ant-Man story with Darwin Cook, of all people, in Marvel Double Shot. And that was really fun. Um, and so, you know, I was I was on their radar. Um, editor Tom Breaver, you know, I could tell he wanted me to be doing more. Um, I kept quitting my jobs to focus on comics, and Tom kept saying, "Don't do that." <laughs> um, but uh, but I you know I I was hungry to to make it happen, and so um, in two thousand two, um, uh, Tom and and one of his um, assistant editors, Mark Sumarac, came to me, and they asked me to pitch for two series. One was called Inhumans, and one was um, at the time called Nimrod. Um, which is a reference to the uh, the, the future uh, version of the Sentinel program, um, and a character that I always thought was really cool. Yeah, um, yeah. it's it's a great and,
0: visual. He's scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I you know, and at, I never asked them this, but I assume that sort of the dual um, nature of the word, you know, that that it got turned into sort of like a uh, a diss, you know, for a dork, you know, or a geek um kind of factored into the oh the the word
0: nimrod itself yeah sure yeah
1: calling somebody a nimrod became you know at some point a popular thing to do which i never i need need to look that origin up someday because you know the the word comes the name comes from a biblical hunter you know it's like how is that a bad thing but um so yeah so they they asked me to pitch that and I, i wrote them uh a pitch for both those series and and within about a week of each other they 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 uh accepted my pitches and I was off to the races writing these two ongoing series. So
0: Sentinel is set weirdly in a place called Antigo Wisconsin which is not a very large place
1: Antigo. Uh, I, but that's everybody pronounces it Antigo when they see it. Yeah.
0: Every, every state has those like local places with their own pronunciation and you don't dare say it wrong, but if you're not from there, you don't know how to say it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots of places in Texas. I'm in Austin now and there's places I'm like, really? That's called Manor, but it's spelled M-A-N-O-R. The one that drives
0: me the most nuts, I'm in Utah. In Southern Utah, there's a town, it's spelled like hurricane, just the the word hurricane, which is a word we all use, but the locals pronounce it hurricane. Oh. And, if, and if you say it like hurricane they're upset like i hate it
1: <laughs> how can they get upset though
0: <laughs> i mean you know people get pride in their cities yeah uh, i guess <laughs> i know you are also from wisconsin how, right how did you decide to
1: set the series here um i picked it because it's a it's i, I lived about an hour from a um and it's I don't know. It's kind of a smaller town, but a lot bigger than the town I was in. I, I was in a town of like 1,200 people and, and it goes more like, I don't know, maybe 15,000 at I, a I guess, you know, it, it was much bigger. It was big enough that I felt like it could be a good place to set this, um, where there could be enough people and, you know, um, where everybody doesn't necessarily know each other. Um, and and I, you know, I just wanted to set it somewhere in Wisconsin. I had set um, in humans to be in Madison. My very first um, Marvel story um, was an Incredible Hulk story set in Wausau, Wisconsin. You know, I, I just, I just kept wanting to name check uh, Wisconsin, I guess. Um, so that was, you know, it was a, it was a landscape that I knew and I could kind of picture. How things would play out there, and that was helpful to me in in terms of uh, in terms of knowing how to plot the series.
0: What was uh what was working with Yudon uh, like? Uh, I know Jovrin came in a lot as well, but I know a lot, when you come up with a pitch and then you see it in someone else's art style, there's a, a collaboration that takes place, and then suddenly this family is born, and you know that you you get an idea of what the future looks like. What what was that pairing like at the beginning?
1: Well, like, um, you know, the way that Marvel works a lot of the time is, is they'll bring you in on something and you don't really know who's going to be working on it. Um, it's not always the case, but most of the time, and that was the case with, with both, uh, Inhumans and Sentinel. And so when I write comics and I don't know who the artist is, I always have, you know, my own mind's eye of, of what the art looks like. And it was, it was nothing like, um, Udon's art. Um, I, so I, uh you know when that happens you're you're always kind of shocked and especially that early in my career i was like oh i didn't expect this at all but you know they were really perfectly suited toward it and then we were able to um you know i think i think we were able to sort of you know script wise i i had them more in mind as time went on and and so i feel like it it merged well that way and another way that things tend to work at marvel and dc is that you don't really have much communication directly with the art team um, on the book, um, and in the case of of Sentinel, you know, I mean, I I met uh, Eric Coe, who was the head of maybe still is the head of Udon, um, probably is, and um, and some other of the guys at a comic convention, you know, but other than that, we weren't in constant contact or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it is a collaboration, but it's all kind of handled through editorial. Um, so, so that, you know, so it basically was a matter of me understanding, you know, what the art was and, 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 uh, and, you know, being better prepared in that. It's, a uh,
0: it's, we won't talk a ton about the art beyond this, but it's pretty, the, uh, the characters are very anime, very cartoony. There's lots of big smiles and giant eyes, uh, but there's a balance to it with the way, like the darkness of the woods, uh, the, the robot kind of looming over the horizon of things, uh, the color in the way that the light plays off the shadow. Uh, I think it's effective, it's pretty. It'd be interesting to see your book drawn by Chris Bacalo or or Leonardo mm-hmm. Romero, which would be a completely different experience, of course. Oh, for sure. But because of the art, mostly it comes across as like a a very kind of young teen oriented book. In some yeah,
1: ways. yeah, it comes across that way. And, and actually, what I like about it is since I wasn't really writing to that to certainly for the first few issues, um, I feel like it it's kind of a narrative that defies the expectations of what goes with that art. Um, in that it's darker than than you know than the sort of sort of you know, colorful cheery kind of nature um with the you know, with the um pronounced uh you know emotions and and things of that nature um and I I, I think that juxtaposes really well like it, I think it kind of it kind of gets you off guard a little better when things, things get kind of dark here and there. Um, And I, and I do agree with you on the colors, like um, really the way that they would, the way that they would uh, set up the night scenes, especially um, were fantastic. And then, and then they, you know, they, they went next level on the mini series afterwards um, with the color and, and the art and, and, um, and I think it made for a, for a really, uh, a really good collaboration between us.
0: The, uh, I have a 14 year old. The uh, idea of being 14 is one foot in childhood. You start playing with your stuffed animals and your action figures and one foot in adulthood as you are delving into hormones and crushes and understanding some of the darker parts of the world and kind of reckoning with it. Your series captures Justin very well in that light. He wants to play battle bots with his little brother, but he's also becoming aware of, uh, the injustices uh, that exist with his mom missing and the kids at high school being big bullies. Tell me about the creation of Justin Safer He's a great character.
1: Yeah, um, man, I think, you know, I think what really, um, what was kind of at the core of Justin was that he was somebody um and this is something I've done in the waiting place and really in a lot of my work um he's somebody who felt trapped <clears throat> in a lot of ways um you know he he, he um he had. you know he has a loving father, but Pete Pete, yeah, but you know they live in a junkyard um they don't have much you know and he and he's he's kind of a lonely kid he's got a couple friends. But and just for context for you know, listeners, when we say live in a
0: junkyard, Pete owns like a salvage yard where people come in and like drop old metal off and pick things up and it's full of scraps. So that's why they're living in a junkyard.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and his, you know, like you mentioned, his mom is out of the picture. And, and, and I think that, you know, I just, I just wanted to kind of um, uh, really express this sort of deep seated um sense of 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 being in a world he didn't create you know um being in circumstances he didn't enjoy um but also bringing joy into his world
0: uh he uh, is kind of a little tech wizard he is smart with the scraps he can put things together and take them apart He's got a little brother named Chris that he is fond of most of the time but also they kind (laughs) of have a brother relationship and rivalry uh my kids the youngest is always like it's hard being the little one because like my older sibling doesn't want to play with me anymore and like Chris has got a little of that energy
1: yeah yeah we definitely I definitely wanted to play with that you know he's like he's a high schooler now and he's interested in high school things and he you know and and he loves his his brother but you know Hanging out with a kid can be a buzzkill, right? So yeah, that's def- and that's something I was the youngest of my family. Um, and my my brother was four years older, my sister six years older. And so, you know, that that was definitely something, you know, they were both in high school and I was still a kid, you know, and and that was a very sort of you know, lonely period for me, especially because we had moved to this. To this little podunk town from from Milwaukee, you know, of all places, and uh, and so you know, I wanted to I wanted to capture some of that as the older sibling who who wants you know to kind of focus on other things and and not be around the little kid, even though he loves him.
0: I uh, I mean, Justin's in me too. My mom divorced my dad when I was 11, and we moved all the way across the country, and my dad was gone. And then my mom married a guy who used to smack us around right around the time I was 13. So Hmm. when I was 14, things got very, very isolated. Not only was I closeted, but I had a little sister that I had to protect. Um, I find a lot of myself in Justin also. This, uh, This idea of just kind of treading those two worlds, but having so much responsibility on your shoulders at the same time. Uh how much of Justin comes from your story
1: and you do not have to share anything
0: here that you <laughs> like to share of course I mean
1: I, I, yeah I mean I you know I was um you know from puberty I was a very emotional kid um you know whatever whatever you know chemically brought that on um I just felt things in a very pronounced way whether it was you know sorrow or or anguish or anger or or joy, um, but there were mostly the negative, um, or at least the you know the the emotions we you know we consider bad feelings or or um, or negative feelings. Um, you know, I was somebody who it's weird. You know, I was I was class president my sophomore year, but but yet at the same time, I was picked on a lot. I wasn't physically bullied, although there were those kind of bullies around. I didn't get beat up on or anything, Um, but, but I just got mercilessly picked on, you know, and so that was a big part of what I wanted to explore, and, you know, going back and rereading it, I, I realize, you know, I still, at 30 years old when I was writing that, didn't have a sense of, of who these bullies in, in my life were, you know. Um, I wish I had Better understood it because I think that's one of the failings of the of the miniseries is that these the bullies are kind of one note, but um, but the kind of things that they get up to are the kind of things that I dealt with, um, you know, and and it created a lot of social anxiety for me. Um, the you know when when um, I think it's in the first issue, um, Justin's friends give him the bad news that they don't share a lunch period anymore. And instead of facing the terror of having to find a place to sit for lunch, she finds an empty classroom to sit in. And that's something like I did that for over a year. I would just find an empty classroom and sit in there. And then I think that's the way it went. You know, actually, yeah, it was probably two years I was like that. I would just, you know, not have lunch in the lunchroom because of social anxieties, Um, you know, and, and, God, that yeah. breaks
0: my heart not only for young me, but like I have a I have a fourteen year old who spent a whole year playing at recess by himself. He'd like go away from all the other kids and like sit in the corner of the fields because he didn't think anybody would want to play with him and he had yeah. the entire school year and it just like oh you know it just hurts. yeah
1: well the and the idea of even approaching anybody is just it's um it freezes you, you know it, it's yeah. just it's you can't contemplate it as something you could possibly do um. And that's that was kind of me, you know, Um, so, yeah, I brought I definitely brought that kind of baggage from my own life because it was something I knew I could I could make authentic.
0: So Justin is kind of a misfit, but also a very likable kid. He's he's cute and nice and has some good friends. Uh, He also meets a girl at school named Jessie who kind of dominates his interests for the remainder of his appearances uh was Jesse based on anyone real
1: uh you know I don't think it was. I don't think she was um I you know maybe to some extent she was like my sister in the, in the sense that you know she's protective and and goes out of her way um you know to to spend time with Justin um my sister was like that um when i was when i was that age and but other than that you know the re- the real root of of the Jesse character that i wanted um was that she was you know somewhat popular and and attractive but she wasn't she wasn't really a romantic love she wasn't a love interest per se, like they weren't gonna get in a relationship like that. I wanted to have a very clear line that even though Justin falls for her, she you know she sees them as platonic friends, and that's okay, you yeah. know because I see so much of young adult fiction is about people having to hook up and stuff like that and i mean not hook up hook up necessarily, but
0: sometimes hook up. <laughs>
1: But yeah, sometimes, Um, but, you know, relationships are always, always seem to be based around romance. And I thought that that it would be nice to, it'd be a nice change of pace to have something that where Justin becomes comfortable with the idea that, you know, that they're friends and they care about each other. Um, And, and that was something also I wanted to put out there to the general public, that that's something that you can do.
0: So right at the beginning of the series, Justin finds a Sentinel in his barn repairing itself. And we don't learn the history of this Sentinel until later. The Sentinels of course, are the giant mutant hunting machines that sometimes have sentience, sometimes they're, uh, they are, uh, well, I don't know the right word, under the command of someone else, I suppose. But there's always a certain amount of autonomy. They have prime directives like hunt mutants and protect humans. And uh, there's one that's been badly damaged and it's landed in his in his barn and he starts working on it. He's never heard of a sentinel seemingly, doesn't know what it is, uh, but then he kind of starts isolating from everyone and, and focusing on this sentinel out of the barn and people are worrying. I remember reading the first time and thinking, how has his dad not gone out in this barn and seen this giant robot? But then I think there's like built, like, my shed in the backyard i don't think i've been in in four months <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> both places well but, yeah pizza Pete's
1: pizza Pete's and pizza pretty busy guy right like yeah yeah you know, he's, he's not only does he have these kids to take care of but you know he, he you know he takes uh he takes big freight loads to other towns and stuff like that
0: he uh he's a great his dad is great he's he's uh he's a sweetheart of a character. Uh, and then Justin bonds to this Sentinel. Uh talk about their relationship a little bit. I know a lot of it is based on emotionally what Justin is going through and he seems to project a lot of his emotional experience onto the Sentinel as if it's it, it's uh it's like the guy Caster, it's Tom Hanks and Cast Away with the the volleyball Wilson. <laughs> he's yeah, just someone yeah. to talk to.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh it's a one-way conversation but 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 it it You know it has its frustrations but it also allows justin to vent and you know the you know he he finds that it's great to focus on because it doesn't judge him you know it uh and it doesn't pick on him um and also you know i mean um he has you know his um and i forget the name of his two friends but you know he has the one friend who uh who puts a lot of dark thoughts into justin's mind that you know and and that character has some of me in him as well um you his, know uh, his he,
0: friends, uh his best friends are Alex and Matt
1: Alex and Matt yeah it's Matt is the one that that um you know he ta- he talks about you know Columbine and nine eleven and stuff like that and and wanting to get you know revenge on bullies you know the in the uh most drastic way possible and you don't know whether he really means it or not but you know, he sure seems to, and you know, and and so Justin kind of goes into a dark place because um, he sees the Sentinel as as you know something that could be leverage. You know, um, and it's and it's very worrying when somebody isolates that much, especially at that age. You know, I think when you're when you're left with your own thoughts and you don't have the tools to sort of um, to sort of be cognizant of that, um, you can. You know, you can re- your mind can really go to some some weird places and accept them as fact. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I wanted to do with that uh, relationship with the Sentinel. But I also wanted the Sentinel to be clearly hiding something um, and and for that mystery to be building up. so
0: Justin and Jesse hold hands one night. For him, it's romantic for her, it's platonic. And she later tells him, I've got a boyfriend. So he isolates a little bit more. They decide to just be friends, but there's these super huge jerks at school who start spreading rumors that they hooked up. Jessie heard these rumors. She assumes Justin's been bragging and she slaps him across the face. Then the bullies punch him. And again, we we can't even laugh at this because we've all been this age and we know what it's like to face, I mean, this level of public humiliation in a school system would just be horrifying. This is the kind of thing that really causes mental health problems, but he just breaks down crying in front of the in front of the whole school and then he's mad cuz we get hurt and then we get mad that's what we do yeah. at- uh and this is when he starts like you said thinking oh maybe i could use the sentinel to get revenge because ah and there's there's this uh he has this image of him like stomping through the school i am balthazar century of galactic ancients i've come to destroy you he yells uh there's there's a a, a lot building to him then attacking the school. Uh talk to me about the storyline because this is again the Columbine era.
1: Yeah, I mean this was, you know, I was writing this I started in early 2003 and Columbine was in 99 and 911 was 2 years you know was in between those two and um and so that stuff was very heavy uh sadly heavier on people's minds than they are now even though we have far more of that sort of thing going on. Um and it it was you know, Columbine was an indelible moment for me, you know, because um, there are ways in which I identified with the killers um, in terms of, you know, in terms of what they endured. Um, I had no sympathy for them, mind you, but but I saw a piece of myself in them. Um, you know, I I've had dark fantasies that I, you know, I knew were fantasies and were only ever going to be that. Um, and, and frankly, I think it takes a big human to admit that because
0: all human minds go there sometimes. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, I, do. you know, I, I say that stuff and I always try to couch it because it's like, Hey, you know, I'm not one of those people, but, but yeah, I mean, there are, you know, we have lots of, I, you know, if you say you never have revenge fantasies, you know, about people, I'd, I'd find it hard to believe, um, maybe, and maybe you're lying to yourself and maybe some people just don't, I don't know. Um, but, but I definitely did. Um, and so I wanted to, to have in Matt a character like that, that actually voices that stuff. And in Justin, I wanted to have a, a character who was wrestling with it. Um, you know, and, and, and we kind of pulled the rug out from under that of course, but, but I, you know, it was, I was actually really surprised that at one point, point, um, and this is, I think it's after the attack, um, which I guess we'll get to in a moment, but Justin says, I feel like those kids from Columbine. Yeah. You know, and I, I was kind of shocked that I wrote that and that they allowed me to put that in there. Um, cause it's kind of bold for a 12 and up comic, but, um, but really, I mean, I mean, why dance around it? Cause that's what I was talking about, you know, um,
0: and For listeners who may
1: not know the context, I'll, I'll cover this briefly.
0: Columbine is late 1990s, two kids in Colorado take guns to school and just execute people. And uh, it's, it's really, really, really sad. And there's been a lot of exploration. I have a personal friend here in Salt Lake City who was at Columbine in one of the classrooms. Uh, she and I do storytelling together sometimes. And I know it still continues to profoundly impact her because it was just such, these places of safety then become places uh, to be afraid of, you know, uh, and it really shocked the public consciousness. Now we're living in an era where, you know, there's a shooting every day, good Lord. It's uh, it's just a heartbreaking thing. Uh, but this was a bold story for the early 2000s uh, to bring yeah. it up. Yeah, but I
1: think, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that Marvel was um, leaning into um, at the time. They wanted to do, some different things they wanted to do some things that felt like they were more connected to the real world, even though Marvel was always the you know the the world outside your window. Um, you know, and they, and you know, to your point about from earlier on, you know, they wanted us t- to take our time with the stories and let them build and let the characters um develop and that you know, um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, Columbine is something I still think about often um and i you know i've read the um there's a journalist named dave cullen who did a book on it um he stayed he stayed in uh in the area for years and did did a lot of research um and that you know and and i think it's important to kind of explore that in a in a responsible way in fiction i think you know um And for really long-term listeners, I was just
0: remembering my friend Kathy was actually on my show once way back in like the first 10 episodes. Uh, uh, Go back and listen, you'll find her there. Deep cut. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the podcast has been a a couple of years now. Um, So Justin programs the Sentinel not to get revenge on the bullies, but to attack the school so that Justin has the chance to save the day, which is frankly also something that we always have the, uh, the fantasy about. He, uh, he has the robot attack. He shows them pictures of the bullies. It's very carefully orchestrated. And then he crashes his car into the Sentinel and it flies away. And everyone's like, yeah, you saved the day. The art here, and I'm sure the way you wrote it shows, this is supposed to be a simple save the day scheme, but the kids are genuinely frightened. A couple of them nearly die. Yeah. And he has yeah. to wrestle with the weight of that
1: later. Yeah, he really didn't think any of it through. I mean, he um he just thought of what it would do for him in the short term in the immediate term. You know, it would it would kind of show the bullies for who they are. Um it would make him look like a selfless hero. Um but he didn't he didn't think about what making himself aggrandizing himself like that would be like and he didn't realize the trauma that it would inflict on the school and the town yeah. you know because he's he's a kid he's a sophomore in high school you know um and then he's yeah. got
0: everything he ever wanted
1: Shit, i you know i'm i'm 51 and i don't have all the answers <laughs> you know when when you're 15 years old you know what the hell do you know um but yeah i mean he you know he He's like, oh, this is, you know, in in his head, I'm sure this is the perfect way to to get out of, you know, these people picking on him and people treating him poorly and, you know, and and maybe feeling good about himself. But it turns out that quite the opposite happens. I mean, he isn't picked on anymore, but but he certainly um, certainly doesn't feel better. It's the
0: idea of we get everything we want, but now we don't actually want it. He's popular, he's noticed, the girls like him, but he feels lonelier than ever. He's very yeah, a kid. Yeah,
1: and I mean, the girl who does like him, I mean.
0: Well, let's he pause doesn't, He doesn't. <laughs> let's pause here and talk about Ashley Nichols. If you do not want to pick up this book for Justin and Sentinel, pick it up for Ashley Nichols. <laughs> Tell us about Ashley Nichols. <laughs> she
1: is such a cartoon character. <laughs> but she, uh, so Ashley Nichols is an upperclassman, uh, um, a um, a cheerleader. Um, you know, she's definitely, you know, part of the in-crowd. Um, and, you know, she sees Justin as a way to get on camera, basically. Uh, and so, you know, she just basically nakedly makes a play for him. And, you know, Justin being justin i mean you know he may have thoughts in his head about like she's just using me but i don't think he cares that much <laughs> i think he's just more weirded out by the whole thing than anything there's it, no there's no kind way, of one of those
0: rewards that he wants you know there's no way ashley does not talk like justin hi
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah lots of vocal we're gonna be has, together she, like he has the kind of name that that makes you think that even if you don't see a picture of her. <laughs>
0: she will either have four kids by 22 or be a stripper yeah. or be like the vice president's son, right? Like there's maybe <laughs> all three or maybe. <laughs> let not live with her. Uh, and there's some funny things that happen with her, but Even as Justin is sitting with the weight of all this, and even in this preteen book, uh, you know, one of the bullies has to go to a mental institution because of the attacks. And Mm -hmm. Justin now wants to be a hero. He starts using the Sentinel to put out house fires and help people in car accidents. And again, for this like preteen book, having these hard conversations with this cartoony art style, and it's a kid in a big robot, you did a good job of balancing those uh, really heavy themes, I thought.
1: Thanks. I, you know, I I tried to have moments of lightness, but you know, I mean the the next three issue arc goes kind of dark with some characters dying in that. But um, but you know, I, I really I just wanted him to become a, you know, him to be somebody who who feels like he has to atone. He knows he's done something wrong, and if he's going to be a hero, if he's going to be called a hero, he better damn well try to be one.
0: Yeah, and then the reality of heroism. God, as we're talking about this, we're gonna talk about what eventually happens to this kid. As much as I hate it, it's on theme. Yeah. The idea of the heavy realities of what people face. Oof. Okay, we'll get there. I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the first arc of the book and then the plane crashes. Uh, tell us about this story with the plane crashing because now Justin's reckoning with death and loss and trauma again.
1: Yeah. So he's, you know, and, and not only that there's, you know, there's this investigation going on around who, what was this big robot alien, you know? Um, So the uh, commission on superhuman activities is in town and they're looking all over for this robot that Justin's using, but he's got all the, you know, he's got all these tall trees and stuff that he can hide in. But, um, but yeah, plane goes down in a marsh and, and Justin races to help them. Um, and because you know they have so few resources in in northern Wisconsin, um, you know the the Commission on Superhuman Activities is also brought in um, to try to help. And and uh, the funny thing about it is, you know, when when I write scripts, sometimes I'll kind of shortcut what a character um, looks like or or who to think of when you when you design the character. And I I wrote think Bruce Willis in Die Hard. And I'll be darned if they didn't draw him exactly (laughs) like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. And I kind of love it. (laughs) Like, like it was like everybody on the internet, you know, not that a lot of people were talking about the series, but it was everywhere. It's like, oh, they're using, like, that's John McClane. And his name's even John.
0: So Justin tries to save lives and a lot of people die, but he does some good. And yeah. then the weight of it's almost too much, and he wants to tell his family finally uh about what's going on. But then his brother has a medical accident. Uh, yeah,
1: from the from the beginning, his yeah, there's a yeah, medical uh um event emergency, yeah, event. Um from the beginning, I, I wanted to, you know, um, I was kind of playing with You know, um, his little brother might be a mutant, and and I I didn't do that going in, going oh he's definitely not, you know it was it was on the table as a possibility, Um, so yeah, um, so from early on Chris has these migraines unexplained, you know doctors can't figure out what they are, and they start getting really bad, Um, and and the idea there is is just to you know sort of bring to a head the the whole point of what. Uh, the sentinel is four. Uh but we use a bit of obfuscation and you know uh, kind of twist it around. You know the, I also felt like there was an argument to be made that Justin himself was a mutant because of his, you know, kind of like Forge almost right like his ability to to make stuff out of uh out of junk um that's functional. Yeah. Um but uh but he's just a really smart kid. Um we call that junctional
0: the- <laughs> Uh, now, fast forwarding to the end, Justin or, or Chris have never been revealed to be mutants, but there is a surprise mutant to come in just a minute. We'll talk about that uh, as well. So uh, Chris is rushed to the hospital for an emergency and in Sentinel number 10, it opens with Justin finally coming out loud about everything he's been through, but it turns out he's like just talking to himself in the bathroom, which is he something I did <laughs> as a teen all the time. And it's just, there's so much heaviness to what he's going through. Um, then uh, then we get agent Brian Reinhart, who comes to investigate. He's the commission of, fuck these guys. The commission on superhuman activities are the guys that are like behind Valerie Cooper and Henry Peter Gyrick. They keep trying to like register superpowers. Uh, <laughs> these guys are the worst.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're the ultimate narcs trying to, trying to quash everybody's fun.
0: It's like ice, like operating. It's just it's a uh, yeah, it's... yeah, they and they
1: yeah, they kind of have a you know open mandate and blank check, and yeah, Uh, so tell us about Brian Reinhardt. Uh, well, he's named after a guy I knew um and uh, by that time, I was living in Columbus, Ohio, and he was a friend of a friend, and I just thought it'd be fun to i I often use uh, friends' names. actually, Justin and Chris Seaford are are friends of mine. Uh, Greg Willis, who's who's um, the alter ego of Gravity, that's a friend of mine from from Wisconsin. Um, but Brian Reinhardt, uh, you know, I wanted him to be, um, you know, pretty pretty smart guy. Um, I don't remember too much about the creation of him and 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 kind, of, you know. But really, the role he served was to be the tightening of the screw.
0: Well, and then it turns out he's hunting down this sentinel, and he is a closeted mutant himself. Which behind right. the scenes or, or under the surface has added motivation for what he's trying to do here. He's trying to take down a weapon of mass destruction that hunts his people. For heaven's sake!
1: Yeah, yeah. It, well, and it it kind of makes for an interesting um, twist that we don't really get to explore the fact that he's in the role that he is. Yeah, and that he's and that he's trying to register superhumans and you know, kind of, kind of in a mix between, a, uh, you know, a Fox Mulder and, a um, I don't know who's a, who's a really good, uh, 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 Clarice Starling or something. I don't know. But, sure. uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like a real go-getter, you know, federal agent, but he, you know, but the people he's going and getting are, some of them are his own people. Um, and I, I never really got to do anything with that, um, but uh, but it definitely showed us his urgency and his fixation with the Sentinel.
0: So the Sentinel's programming resets and it starts hunting mutants and Brian Reinhart reveals that he is a mutant who can fire like energy energy discharges from his hands. Uh, then he uh, the Sentinel attacks and Brian ends up in a coma at the end. We don't see him again. This is a character that could be brought up in any mutant book because he is an ongoing canon character of Marvel that's never been seen since.
1: Right, yeah. He could still be in a coma right
0: now. So the book kind of ends abruptly. You wrap it up nicely, but Justin doesn't seem to, for me, have a lot of resolution. No, no there's, um, there's not a lot of amends. He doesn't tie he he and he and uh, he and Jesse never get to kiss. Uh, his brother's still in the hospital. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kind of jarringness to the way it ended, and he kind of just rides off on the Sentinel into the distance.
1: So, it's- so here's a fun story. <laughs> so, I get I get these two ongoing series there, you know, and I'm a full time writer for the first time in, in my life. Yeah, and Humans and Sentinel, and um, and I move into a new apartment. I buy some new furniture, and I'm literally moving in my new couch and seat with a friend of mine when I get a phone call from Marvel telling me that both series are canceled with number 12.
0: (laughs) How much notice did you have?
1: Oh gosh so that would have been like October so I was probably probably only had a couple more issues to write of each series
0: and suddenly you had to kind of wrap everything up.
1: Yeah I had to figure out a way to wrap things up um so neither of them uh were wrapped up in a way that i was happy with um sentinel more so than in humans i was unhappy with how i ended that because it 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 really was just an kind of open ending um which is a a way to end things
0: absolutely
1: yeah i mean that's the way life is and that's kind of how i ended uh my first series the waiting place is that you know um it's New Year's Eve, and everybody, you know, and and we're building up to New Year's, and then they realize like New Year's is already passed, you know, and and it's just kind of over, you know. Um, but um, but yeah, it, you know, it really does leave things hanging open. Luckily, the um, the collected digests that they put out um, for Sentinel did fairly well, well enough that they commissioned me to write series to make a third book with
0: right so uh where were you living at the time when the books were canceled
1: i was in columbus ohio
0: okay so instead of having the steady paycheck you were planning on suddenly you're back to
1: having i was a scrambling yeah That's... yeah i mean i I picked up shortly after that i picked up uh, mystique and did a few issues of marvel age fantastic four and that um, but by the time we get around to hey we want to come back to sentinel um I was working on that while I had six other projects going on <laughs> in some, in you know, in some form. Um, it wasn't until towards the end of that, that it was really six other projects, but um, yeah, that was a, that was kind of a, a crazy time going into that second series. Um, and it was made even harder by the, the first plot I sent was rejected entirely. Um, they didn't want to focus on, they didn't want to have any mutants in it. They didn't want to, you know, focus on the mutant stuff at all. So, so there I had were to...
0: times there were times when you tried to bring in the X Men or other characters.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was always drive it up
0: sales, of course.
1: Yeah, it's like you know that's what a Sentinel is. It hunts mutants, so I want to, you know, I want to bring them in, and yeah, it would help sales to to have some guest stars or something. But they really, you know, they were they really felt strongly that they wanted all of these books that they were launching at the time to exist on their own merits in their own Kind of pocket world within the world of marvel um, yeah. and um and I think also, and uh, this may be a you know a a faulty memory or or just uh, some conjecture on my part, but I think that there was something about the whole fox x men thing that they didn't really wanna you know um. They didn't really, you know, they didn't really want it to be about the X Men or that kind of stuff.
0: There, there,
1: there, did seem to
0: be at least in the common consciousness uh, an effort to no longer push the X Men in the main Marvel books because they seem to be fighting for rights around this. Time. Yeah, it and got this, it this got, got much worse they're like, later. They're like, like the really pushing the Inhumans or. and other characters and an effort mm. to try to kind of dominate the X Men landscape, but it just never really was effective
1: no no that you can't just you know you can't just replace the x-men with something else yeah you know, they're the x-men um yeah so you know they they. so i came up with the second um so the idea trade, for the so miniseries the trade,
0: out, the trade came out it did well enough that they then contacted you to follow up on justin's story. right so right and the that first pitch that, was rejected and then yeah. and
1: happened? so then i i thought you know more you know i re- reread the the series, and I thought about the you know what was kind of left unsaid um and what came to me was was that i you know I was always being very loosey goosey about what the sentinel's deal was <laughs> what you know yeah, why was and, what was uh, it hiding it was clearly hiding stuff it had a it had some secret directive um that superseded even you know the stuff that Justin put in while it was broken um you know what was that about and so you know I came up with that backstory um, and in doing that uh, the part of the first pitch that stuck around because it was where we left the the first series was that he's looking for his mom um, I'm an adopted kid myself um, adopted from birth my brother and sister are also both adopted from birth from various families and we've all had uh different, points of view about it. You know, my sister now knows her birth mother and, um, and so like several, um, half siblings. Um, my brother never wanted to know anything about any of them. And I was always just curious for, for medical reasons. So at one point I, you know, when when I was 30, I reached out, um, and got in contact with my birth mother. And so I was kind of, um, working from that um, understanding of things, even though Justin's is a bit different and he knew his mother. Um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of explore like that feeling that some part of his life is, is missing because of it. Um, because that was, you know, I think a lot of people feel like something's missing in their life, especially growing up, you know, it's like, what's that missing piece and in a cosmic sense. Um, and, and sometimes I, I did, toy with the thought like, is it that I, that I'm adopted that I'm feel this way? you know um so I kind of wanted to explore that. And that was those two pieces of the puzzle and then also trying to figure out how to still um keep all the kids at school in the story, you know um was was basically what I what I had to work with, yeah, yeah,
0: that's a uh, I have a friend. he's been on the podcast a number of times, but I'll let him tell his own story who found his birth mom quite recently. And uh, it's it's been really a privilege to watch him go through that journey. Um, what a powerful, I, I really appreciate the heart and the, the openness that you're offering uh, as you talk about this. Clearly oh, sure. yeah, you've put a lot of yourself into this. Okay, so Justin has programmed the Sentinel to find his mom, like with the mom's DNA, which supposedly is a thing Sentinels can do. They're tracking mutants all the time. You know,
1: I played really <laughs> fast and loose with this, with whatever model of Sentinel this was. Like we had, I mean, like it doesn't really, it has some of the nomenclature of Claremont uh, Sentinels and then doesn't in other ways and and like responds to, you know, I yeah, it's just, you know, it is... It is the Sentinel it is for this comic.
0: <laughs> so while he's off tr- trying to find his mom, he keeps stopping crime. And he, he learns that the Sentinel has memory data banks and he's able to see some of its history. It turns out the Sentinel has been used to kill a mutant. And what we learn later is there is a set of very corrupt high level government people. One of them is a Senator named Jeff Knudson. The other is a Colonel named Archie Hunt. And they have been using the Sentinel to commit various assassinations before it wound up in Justin's garage, which is a great backstory. It sets it apart from the X-Men universe while still uh, kind of holding true. And the idea of this like governmental corruption being the thing he now has to fight, I think it's a great turn for the story.
1: Yeah, I felt like the Sentinel program was something where it could definitely skirt oversight, you know? Um, and, And, Be prone to corruption, and so the idea, you know, the, the thing that I I'm really reading it again, I'm really proud of myself for was creating this backstory between the um between the senator and the and the colonel that they went to the same high school in Wisconsin together, um that it, it really kind of it it lended a you know a, another layer to their relationship. Um, you can see that they've always seen each other in a certain way um and it also explains how the senator is able to come to him with something so sensitive and say like i need to i need to kill uh, the competition um to get where i'm going and it will be to your benefit to do that you know um and it's then of very... course the colonel sees it as to his benefit because now he's got something over the senator
0: <laughs> it's very uh like two guys killed a prostitute and then hid the body and now they're living with this secret years later kind of that like energy to it
1: yeah 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 you know i i wanted it to kind of be you know in the same way that justin had his um his fake moment of heroism hanging over him all the time i wanted something to be hanging over these guys and you know and so obviously it's very urgent for them to destroy this sentinel that they thought was destroyed and uh you know and and cover up you know their um, that their last bit of uh um. Of uh, you know, loose ends.
0: And then metaphors. <laughs> and then oh, you're doing good. And then Justin meets his aunt Jenny. He finds someone who's related to his mom. And note, we never meet his mom in this series, which is a very smart. Uh, narrative decision because you're left with the mystery just like Justin is, uh, and yeah. so often we don't get those mysteries. But his aunt Jenny turns out to be someone who wants his money. She wants to exploit him. Uh, she knows he's famous, and she like tries to capitalize on. Oh, look, I'm his aunt, and I should get a lot of media attention. She's just kind of an awful human, and he has a really kind of rude awakening to what the real world might be like away from home. Uh, yeah, I mean, so in, a, in
1: a way, she's a little bit like ashley right but uh but she's much worse ashley um, a few years down the She's. Line. <laughs> yeah. i mean she's i mean she's an adult for one but um you know i mean she's just not a very not a redeemable character i and i didn't want to make her a redeemable character you know um you know i i i wanted to show that that there are you know um that you know, there are people out there who are just in it for themselves and and don't care that your family necessarily even, you know, um, and so I thought you know that was kind of a nice and also kind of a nice way to you know to send Justin back home. <laughs> I, uh, I'll <laughs> be gotta get back there I'll, eventually.
0: I'll be selective with what I share here, but in my early twenties, I made a huge effort to get to know my father, uh, who'd been gone out of my life for years, and it it ended very poorly. And I remember like that sense of devastation and like I'm on my own. So when I read this with, I got, it's it's really well written, man. I really like it. But Thanks. this was a smart turn to like show this kid the realities of the world. Uh, my favorite moment, laugh out loud, is when uh, Jesse's back at school and pranks Ashley into believing that she's doing an interview with Oprah. Ashley says a lot of very self-absorbed things, and then Jesse plays it for the whole school, like yes, I do have the best ass and you should hire me. And what, where's, where's the real Oprah? I want, like, it's, it's really entertaining yeah. as a gag. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think if I had a little more time with that, I probably would have um, dealt with some aftermath on that because the one thing that I don't like about it is that they're, I mean, she's not a, Ashley is not a great person, but the fact that they're bullying her the way that you know, that Justin and Alex and Matt have been bullied. Um, yeah, I mean, it's on the on the bully level, it's kind of harmless and it's kind of a comeuppance for somebody who's been using somebody. But bullying uh, a bully, bullying a but, bully. Yeah, bullying a bully, but but still like, you know, I think I think I would have liked to have seen Jesse have, have some remorse or one of them have some remorse. Uh, maybe not Jesse, you know. Maybe she's just like, no, she deserved that. You know, um look what she did to Justin. She's protective of Justin, you know. Um, but um, but I didn't really get any room to explore that, unfortunately.
0: And how does the series end? Uh the the general and the sentinel, the sentinel, the general and the senator like really push hard, they close in. And what happens?
1: So they have a yeah, they have a top secret um sentinel that got decommissioned um because it it didn't really meet the power requirements. It had all these cool like stealth abilities and various things and could also be remote piloted, but it could only really like do one of its major, um, um, like one of its major functions at once because of the power issue. So like it has like this, this energy sword, but it can't turn invisible while while it's using it. And it, you know, it can turn invisible, but that, you know, it can't do anything else. Um, And so he, he takes it upon himself, the Colonel to pilot this, sentinel and fight justin directly while justin meanwhile um well the sentinel in in logicking out that he has to protect justin at all costs creates this sort of uh cockpit for justin in his back um where he can sit down on a on an old uh um what do they call those uh those that kind of car chair. Um,
0: oh, I, I forget it. talking I, about, but I forget. Yeah, yeah.
1: Bucket something. Yeah. Bucket seat. Bucket seat. Bucket seat. And uh, with a with a uh, with a functioning uh, um, seat belt because <laughs> you know he's gonna be jostled, um, and a, like a remote control and a TV monitor, and so he can see what the sentinel sees, um, and he can remote pilot it with some you know with some joysticks or whatever was in there and so justin's actually in the sentinel and fighting this other sentinel that's that's being piloted by a by a decorated officer in the military and you'd think that you know justin's got his work cut out for him but he's also you know justin's also kind of clever and and between him and the sentinel they wind up uh defeating him and and I can't remember what happens with the. Uh, he
0: basically with the video. Yeah, he basically says, uh, "Leave me alone. Let me keep the sentinel. Never touch me again, or I'll expose your crimes." Is like that, he, okay. He I just read it. And I can't remember it. <laughs> he, yeah, he blackmails the guys into like kind of leaving him alone, which is an effective ending, but it leaves things like, "Oh, geez, what happened next?" You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then, um, yeah, you know, we kind of leave it with. You know the Sentinel had lost an arm, and Justin uh, reclaims uh, an arm from the from the decommissioned Sentinel. He's got parts from that now, and and we kind of leave it with Justin. Still, you know, for every everything he does to help, he just you know it's kind of like a Peter Parker thing, right? Like uh, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Um, even if you know, even if what he did was genuinely good, all he can see is where he went wrong. you know and and so that's you know and so justin's still devoted to you know to doing good in the world there's also
0: a beautiful and this is the way the series needed to end there's a beautiful moment between justin and his family his dad finally knows everything justin's kind of like yeah i'm still a kid i still need you his dad opens up like your mom left because she didn't want kids and I'm here, and I still love you. And they hug each other, at, and Justin's part of his family again. And it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful ending to the series. Yeah. What
1: What makes it, I think. I think what makes it work, like it does too, is that that's part of Ginny's Aunt Ginny's whole thing is like, your mom left you because she didn't want she didn't you. Want you. Okay. you were a hassle, you know. And and so yeah, Justin comes to his dad with that, and you know, Pete being Pete, he's not going to lie to Justin about it, but he doesn't have to say anything. And Justin just starts breaking down, you know, and, um, you know, these are the things that Pete was trying to protect his son from and, um, you know, these realities and, and, you know, I, I yeah, I think that moment worked out really well. It's really
0: beautiful. How was the second five
1: issue series received? I mean, it was, um, it didn't sell very well. Um, but neither did the original series, hence its cancellation. Um, you know, I know that people liked it. I, there were a lot of complaints that you know about Justin being separated from the rest of the cast. Um, but that you know, overall, I think you know uh, people liked it. Um, I have a, you know, I don't, I don't, I used to go hunting for that kind of stuff. But I think at that by that point, I really wasn't so much looking for people's reviews and all that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and and you know they're certainly harder to come by just because of attrition in in the audience Um and you know i don't know um i could probably go back and look at royalty statements to see how well that third volume did but it certainly didn't do well enough to um to garner more stories
0: you say third volume do you mean second
1: the third volume of the of the collection sorry oh pardon yeah. me Volume Yes, volume two is volume three of the, <laughs> of the collections.
0: So years go by and Marvel has a wide swath of characters that are just never seen again, even beloved characters that are kind of not used very often once they kind of fade off the shelf. God, I could think of a hundred examples of characters sure. that were really prominent in the 80s or 90s or 70s that just are kind of not used afterward because the, the lexicons changed. But they launch Avengers Academy. Uh, It's a series where Giant Man, Quicksilver, Tigra, a bunch of people are training superheroes in the old West Coast Avengers complex in California. And in issue number 20, they open the team or the school to more students. So there's a primary cast of characters here. Uh, For our LGBTQ listeners, there's an infamous storyline about Stryker, who's like a very spoiled, closeted Hollywood kid who like, engages in a lot of toxic masculinity before very publicly coming out. Uh, it's very much a celebrity story. It's an interesting uh, an interesting take uh, and an interesting character. Uh, we also have the character Lightspeed, who is a bisexual character, an original member of Power Pack, who's part of this team. So there's some really good representation, but issue 20, they open the school to a lot more students. And random characters are pulled in from all over the place. Uh, The female white tiger is introduced, uh, the son of Thunderstrike, Butterball from the (laughs) Avengers Initiative, like Batwing from the old Untold Tales of Spider-Man, the younger Lyra, the Savage She-Hulk. And then Justin Seifert and his, uh, you say Seifert, Justin Seifert and his uh, Sentinel also enroll. Uh, there is Rocket Racer, Turbo, the new Power Man. Uh, there's a Weird Penance who shows up, that's a Generation X character. Ricochet, who is the mutant member of the Slingers, uh, Machine Team, uh, Aranya, and again, another huge X-Men name, uh, Wizkid, who is very prominent in S.W.O.R.D. right now. Uh, so it's a, it's a huge cast expansion. None of the characters get a ton of attention. And very quickly after this uh, X-2-3, uh, Laura Kinney joins avengers academy so there's a lot of x-men content through this era now that justin is a part of the wider marvel universe he's part of this large cast he shows up in the back there's a sentinel standing around the school and people are like whoa what the fuck's the sentinel doing there uh when um when a student named jimmy marks who's an old mutant dire wraith Villain that faced Rom Space Knight. It's a character named Hybrid. I, I I love this creepy character. I don't do you know anything about hybrid? He's
1: no, no, but I love I love that Chris Gage just went and dug deep into the yeah, I love recesses. That,
0: I love people that use the playground. Now I want to do a hybrid episode of the show. <laughs> I like this character actually, he's gross. Uh anyway, the sentinel identifies like hybrid is a mutant, he's dangerous. Uh, but he doesn't get a ton of prominent moments uh, in the show or in the series until around issue number 30. Uh, Some of the students, this is during the Avengers versus X-Men event. Some X-Men students are fighting the Avengers students and the Sentinels there, and they fight Sebastian Shaw of all people, who's like a guy that created Sentinels. So there's some cool character moments. And then Avengers Academy 3233. This is a great Justin story. Have you read this one?
1: I this is the first I'm hearing any of this stuff. Okay. I so, had no I really had no idea until you mentioned it in our in the last podcast that that he was in Avengers Academy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you knew how he died, but there's a there's a whole section Well, in in
1: the in the next series, yeah, the arena
0: so Avengers Academy 3233 is a really nice uh sentinel story, Justin's favorite oh. story. This is during the Avengers versus X-Men event. At this point during the event, five X-Men characters have had the Phoenix force divided between them. So they're called the Phoenix Five. Emma Frost is one of those characters, and these five characters are running all over the earth. Solving wars, curing hunger, like kind of doing that superhero dominance thing. And the Avengers are fighting against them and trying to recontain the Phoenix. There's a this is a long story, a drug on for like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so in this in this era, this might be outside of your writing. This is my favorite Justin story. Uh, so Christos Gage is writing, Some of the X-Men, uh, or the Phoenix Five, Justin is working on the Sentinel when X23, who's now a student at the academy. Uh, confronts him and she explores the sentinel's primary directives and she justin has the sentinels like say your directives in order of importance and uh and justin or the sentinel says unit will not abandon justin not ever no matter what protect justin then preserve and protect all life do not harm living beings except to protect justin self or other living beings defend self preserve self and then apprehend or destroy all mutants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is its final
0: and least directive. And (laughs) X-23 argues that the robot needs to be completely mind wiped, but Justin cries that the Sentinel is his only friend And then the Phoenix, Emma Frost, shows up and tries to destroy the Sentinel. It did attack her first, but who can blame? Yeah, right. It's an
1: Omega level threat. (laughs) There's a
0: huge fight. There's a a large debate about the ethics of the Sentinel and what its potential in is. And if it has a soul, you know, that kind of thing, like if we mind wipe it, then you could keep the Sentinel, but it'll be not the, the person you know. And Justin's like, no, it is a person. If you take its personality away, it's cruel. And and there's, this, there's these fights. We also, during this fight, we see a flashback to Justin on a phone call with Pete. This is, uh, Pete shows up here. And oh, that's Pete, awesome. Pete wants Justin to come home. Like your little brother needs you. And Justin says, dad, I came here so that I could keep the Sentinel. I'm not welcome with him back in our hometown. And Pete's really worried about him. You're in the middle of all this superhero drama. People attack the school and Justin hangs up on him. And it kind of shows him like he's formed this bond with the Sentinel that's not more important necessarily than his family, but almost there's an obsession with it almost to the point of it being a character flaw. Like he's really connected to this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, The Sentinel will never leave him. He'll never leave the Sentinel, like it's a promise. So we're now back in the present. Emma is attacking, she badly damages the Sentinel, but it keeps working to protect Justin. But eventually it gets destroyed. It's broken into teeny tiny pieces and Justin just cries his eyes out and Emma leaves because she completed her mission. But Quicksilver uh, saved the Sentinel's core programming unit, its CPU, which has its programming, his personality in it. And they help him rebuild the Sentinel and then re-upload the codes into it so that he has his friend back. And no, uh, right after that, Avengers Academy closes. So all the characters are kind of left. Like, sorry, you can't live here anymore. Tell me your thoughts on this story about. Uh, I think that's
1: awesome. I, I you know, I I, uh, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to Chris Gage for 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 um, obviously, you know, he read my stuff. You know, sometimes you see a character you worked on or created, and and it's like, oh they just needed a character. So they picked this, you know, um, I think that's, I think that's great.
0: It's uh, it's really well done. I, I don't know if you know, Chris Gage, he's a great guy.
1: Well, I know, I, I know him, uh, entirely through social media. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've, um, exchanged DMS and stuff like that. Fantastic. Uh,
0: okay. And then we have Avengers arena. Uh, the hunger games is wildly popular Uh, Marvel seems to be doing a riff on it, and they decide to bring a whole bunch of superheroes into a murder world run by a god-powered arcade. Have you read Avengers Arena? I presume not. No. It's good storytelling. It's good writing. It's definitely there to achieve the mission statement, which is high body count and, like, just teen horror. But arcade is Marvel's evilest villain in some ways because of this series. He he pulls a dozen superhero kids, many of whom are original creations for this series. Again, more LGBT representation, the character Cullen Bloodstone is introduced here. Uh, There's some pretty interesting characters, again, a high body count, Uh, but there's a number of established characters that are pulled in as well, including Darkhawk and, Cammy Benelli, who's like the the girl who hangs out with Drax the destroyer in space. There's oh, <laughs> wow. there's some uh there's some interesting pulls here. The character Reptile is here. We've talked about Terry or talked to uh, Terry Blast about Reptile on my show a few times. Uh all the kids are basically told they need to get like you need to fight to the death. And then in order to demonstrate his power in front of Justin and all the other kids, arcade kills the character Metal and just, who just explodes like raw hamburger. And like the end of the first issue is this like beloved, wonderful hero, like just a pile of blech on the ground. <laughs> like, holy shit. The next issue opens with another character, uh, an obscure female character named Red Raven, who tries to escape, but breaks her own neck by trying to fly out of the arena. Ooh. So like, it's, it's like just death, death, it's uh rough. The characters kind of isolate from each other. They don't know who to trust. Arcade keeps throwing things their way. Here's a, I don't know, volcano exploding. Oh no, here's a blizzard. What are you going to do now? He's manipulating them, trying to force them to fight. Uh, Justin ends up hiding in the woods a lot during this run. And there's a character who's kind of a breakout hit from this series in a small way named Deathlocket. She's like- yeah, a, I've heard of Death Locket. Yeah, she's like a little girl version of Deathlock. Uh, I'm going to give the spoiler here. There's a hero named- Apex, who has a boy side and a girl side. It's two teens that are sharing a body. And when Apex is the boy, he's nice and he's a friendly hero. But when he changes to the girl, a character named Katie Bashir, uh, or Bashir, uh, she's evil and she wants to kill all the kids. So okay. that's the big mystery in the book is you don't know which character is which and who's doing what. But Katie has the power to take over electronic uh, consciousnesses so she takes over Deathlocket and is having Deathlocket kill people throughout the series she also keeps taking over the sentinel and justin becomes aware of what's happening and is trying to like beef up his sentinel to fight back so fast forward i hope i'm not being too detailed here no
1: that's all right
0: fast forward to avengers arena number eight x23 is in this series as well so for our x-men fans she finds justin and the sentinel it's been broken in a big explosion from Death Locket. Uh, Justin has set all these traps uh, and uh, he's been living off of like a stash of peanut butter that he had in the Sentinel <laughs> like for the last you know week in the woods or whatever. But this explosion resulted in him being paralyzed from the waist down. So the Sentinel is broken. He's in the woods paralyzed trying to rebuild the Sentinel which is just heartbreaking because we yeah. love this character. Uh, x 23 helps Justin fix the Sentinel. They build like a little fight platform on it. And Justin immediately goes after Deathlocket because she's the one that hurt him. There's a huge fight, all of the teens get involved. So this is like, Justin's the plot device to create more violence again. Uh, Justin tells everyone, we've got to kill Apex. He's in his boy form now, so he's nice. And they're like, we can't kill him because he's nice. But basically when he goes to sleep that night, Katie wakes over and kills Justin, breaks his neck. And it's the next casualty so that she can keep Mm -hmm. her secrets. The Sentinel is involved in the rest of the book because uh, Apex has the Sentinel she can now control. Ultimately, she um, she ends up getting killed and some of the teens survive, but there's a lot that die and a lot that are believed dead at the end of this series. Uh, there's also a moment in Avengers Arena number 13, right before it wraps up, where uh, Tigra calls Pete Seifert, Pete they're like, we haven't heard from Justin, do you know where he is? And it turns out, uh, Arcade has built LMDs of all of the kids, and like sent them home. So this kid is like interacting with his family and like hanging out, and they think it's Justin, but it's actually an LMD. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. We've never seen if Pete found out Justin died. We've never seen what happened to that LMD. Like maybe they think he's still around. Uh, tell me your thoughts on Avengers arena, my friend.
1: Well, uh, so what, what's the last time you see the Sentinel in the series? The Sentinel ends up scrapped by the end. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, when I heard about it, um, what was it? 2013 or something like that? Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't too emotional about it. I, uh, you know, I raised a glass, tweeted about it, you know, had a drink in his honor. Um, but I mean, I, you know, it had been a long time since I'd written the character and I knew that at that time, for sure, I knew that I wouldn't be writing him again. Um, so on that level, it wasn't, you know, um, It was just, it was a bit of a shock. Um, You know, I, I, I know uh, Dennis Hopeless a little bit um, enough that we've, you know, we've hung out at conventions and stuff. And I saw him maybe like four years ago and said, Oh, you killed Justin. And he like quickly changed the subject and, you know, it hasn't come up since, you know, I, in fact, I was just recently DMing with him about a month ago about some other work stuff, but um, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't like it. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like the story. I haven't read it, but I mean, I, you know, I didn't from the beginning like the concept of Avengers arena. Um, And, and, you know, I, I was, um, as part of my um, two year exclusive with DC comics, I was writing teen Titans and, you know, I was pushed to do a similar thing um, to have a, um, this, Thing called the dark side club that ties in with final crisis which is an arena where you know teen heroes and villains kill each other and i didn't like that you know and i, I and i didn't like it as avengers arena either just the concept of it yeah. um I, you know i just i just feel like it doesn't belong in those universes
0: uh, yeah, i fully understand and it is it is part of the toy box and sometimes people take the toys and use them to further their stories uh, but it's hard to watch a character so innocent and with so much heart be killed so tragically but that's
1: i mean that's effective yeah. you know i mean i mean completely divorcing myself from from uh, creating the character um that's an effective way to to really uh, hit home and not a and it's not cheap you know it depends i mean it depends on the execution but it's but you know i mean if you know if you really want to um if you want, really want to make a death effective you you want to care about the character yeah. you know or you want to or you want to see them as somebody who is not worthy of that kind of death you know and uh, he wasn't
0: he wasn't the only character to very tragically die of course, right but it's 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 a hard story to read the the series was popular enough much like your sentinel series i presume to get a follow-up there was a series called avengers undercover that oh, was okay. Brief. Avengers Arena, I thought was pretty good. Avengers of Undercover, I didn't care for. It's kind of disjointed and doesn't really seem to further the story for me. But Justin's not a part of that one. Well, how could he be?
1: <laughs> unless, uh, I mean, there's unless Justin cleverly survival. swapped himself with the LMD and is not dead. <laughs>
0: or it was a scroll the whole time i mean who knows <laughs> uh sean what are your thoughts as we kind of uh sum all this up together how are you feeling about this conversation
1: um it's good it's uh it's a nice sort of um sort of release um it's you know it's cathartic it's um it's nostalgic um yeah i've i've been i've enjoyed this opportunity to look back at it at a character that that you know um, seemed to have a little heat for a moment, and and then kind of faded into the background, you know, uh, much like gravity. <laughs> um, but that's another story altogether. But um, but yeah, it was. I I think uh, yeah, I'm glad we had this chat. The uh,
0: the idea of uh, the theme or the through line where Justin keeps getting himself into situations that are much bigger than him and is learning how to deal with the consequences. That decision to join Avengers Academy was out of your <laughs> hands, but suddenly cosmic beings are attacking the school and he's yanked in by a you know, crazy murder guy. I mean, oof, that's a sad ending, uh, um, I say with a smile, but mostly because I'm chatting with Sean. But McElroy. you know, uh,
1: what was going to be, you know, what were they going to do with him otherwise? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, at least he got some more time in the spotlight and and, it sounds like I need to track down uh, those uh, those Chris Gage issues of uh, Academy.
0: They're good. I think it'd be a good read for you. It was a pleasure to be the one to tell you about them. They're yeah, of- yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'll have to find that. Uh, well, I have the uh, unlimited app, so I can find it all on there. But yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm uh, I do not know if they are on there, but. <laughs> they <laughs> probably are. Well, as we're wrapping up my friend where can people find you online uh and we're gonna put this out on i believe it's like february 8th on the patreon show a couple months later on the main channel is there anything you want uh, no, to plug
1: i know i got nothing to plug. um there was going to be a a sentinel complete collection um but it got canceled for some reason i don't know if it's low pre-orders or if it's because they realized they were just collecting the first 12 issues and needed sure. like and left volume two out of it um so I don't have that to plug. Um but um you know you can find me at SeanMcKeever.com and all my socials are on there and my contact uh and um yeah I mean that's that's pretty much it. I'm I'm just I'm just got my head down working on some upcoming Marvel stuff for their unlimited app to be announced and uh and that video game to be announced.
0: Fantastic. I love what
1: you're doing on Marvel
0: Unlimited uh or Marvel Infinity, excuse me. It's Unlimited series on the Infinity app.
1: <laughs> it's Marvel Infinity series on the Unlimited app. Oh my god, I swapped it. <laughs> and it's DC Infinite. <laughs> it's so confusing. Well,
0: hey, uh, around the time we uh, release this show, our next episode on this channel is going to be with the incredible Anthony Olivera all about the character Bova. <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> I
1: like
0: Bova. Well, uh, people are strangely fond of her and I thought I liked her until I read her whole chronology and now I'm like,
1: eh. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and then on the main show, we're going to be reviewing uh, X-Men 64 with uh, Fabian Nicieza. So uh, thank you everybody for listening and tuning in. Uh, Sean, what a pleasure to see you again. Thank you for hanging out with me today.
1: Been great talking with you, Chad. Thanks.
0: Okay. have a beautiful day, my friend. Uh, thanks everybody. we will see you next time.